0: CHAPTER One Part F of Greener Than You Think This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Greener Than You Think by Ward Moore. CHAPTER One Part F But I couldn't leave so cavalierly. Every leaf, stem, and blade of the cancerous grass held me in somewhat the same way Miss Frances's intense eyes did. It wasn't an aesthetic or morbid attraction, its basis was strictly practical. If it could have been controlled, if only the growth could be induced on a modified and proper scale, what a product! A fury of frustration rocked my customary calm. The stretch and retraction of the mower's arms, the swift, bright curving as the scythe cut deeper, fascinated me. An unscrupulous man, just a whimsical thought, might go about in the night inoculating lawns surreptitiously and appear with a crew next day to offer his services in cutting them. Just goes to show how easy it is to make dishonest speculations. But, of course, such things don't pay in the long run. The lush area was being reduced, but perhaps not with the same rapidity as at first, when Mr. Borelli was at the top of enthusiastic, if the adjective was applicable, vigor. Oftener and oftener and oftener, he paused to sharpen his implement, and I thought the crop shocks were becoming smaller and smaller. As the movement of the scythe swept the guillotine grass backward, the trailing stolons entangled themselves with the uncut stand, pulling the sheaves out of place and making the stacks ragged and inadequate-looking. Behind me a cocky voice asked, What's cooking around here, chum? I turned round to a young man, thin as a bamboo pole, elegantly tailored, who yawned to advertise gold inlays. I explained, while he looked skeptical, bored, and knowing simultaneously. "'Who would the flummox, Bogum?' he inquired. "'Huh?' He took a pack of playing cards from his pocket and riffled them expertly. "'Who you kidding, bud?' he translated. "'No one. Ask anybody here if this wasn't a dead lawn yesterday, and if it hasn't grown this high since morning.' He yawned again and proffered me the deck. "'Pick any card,' he suggested. "'To avoid rudeness, I selected one. "'He put the pack back and said, "'You have the Nine of Diamonds. "'Clever, eh?' "'I didn't know whether it was or not. "'He accepted the pasteboard from me and said, "'peering out from under furry black eyebrows, "'If I brought in a story like that, "'the chief would fire me before you could say "'James Gordon Bennett. "'You're a reporter?' "'A cute chap. "'Newspaperman.' "'Name a Goots. Jackson Goots, daily intelligencer. Not thrilling wonder stories.' I thought I saw an answer to my most pressing problem. One has to stoop occasionally to methods which, if they didn't lead to important ends, might almost be termed petty. But after all, there was no reason Mr. Jackson Goots shouldn't buy me a dinner in return for information valuable to him. "'Let's get away from here,' I suggested.' He fished out a coin, showed it to me, waved his arm in the air, and opened an empty palm for my inspection. "'I sure would like to, Colonel, but I've got to cover this here story, even if it's out of this miserable world.' "'I'm sure I can give you details to bring it down to earth,' I told him. "'Make it a story your editor will be glad to have.' "'Glad?' He pressed tobacco into a slender pipe as emaciated as himself you don't know w r if he got a beat on the story of creation he'd be sore as hell because god wanted a byline he evidently enjoyed his own quip for he repeated several times in different accents god wanted a byline he puffed a match flame and surveyed the field of mr borelli's effort hard working feller what guess i better have a chat with the bounder probably closest to the dashed thing Mr. Goots, I said impressively. I am the man who applied the inoculator to this grass. Now, shall we get out of here so you can listen to my story? sana these's these gonna be good. Lead away, amigo, I prepare both ears to listen. I drew him toward Hollywood Boulevard and into a restaurant I calculated might not be too expensive for his generosity. Besides, he probably had an expense account, we put a porcelain top table between us, and he commanded, "Give down." Obediently, I went over all the happenings of yesterday, omitting only Miss Francis's name and the revealing wording of the ad. Goots surveyed me interestedly. "You certainly started something here—acne and/or psoriasis." Humor like his was beneath offense. My name's Albert Weiner. Mine's mustard. He produced a plastic cup and rapidly extracted from it a series of others in diminishing sizes. I wouldn't have thought it to look at you, the dirty deed I mean, not the eczemical hot dog. Okay, Mr. Wiener, who's this scientific magnet? Why are you holding him out on me? Scientists don't like to be disturbed in their researches, I temporized. No more does a man in a whorehouse, he retorted vulgarly. Story's no good without him. That was what I thought, and I'm afraid my satisfaction appeared on my face. Now, little man, no try to hold up the press. What's the matter? You already had the beer and the roast-a-beef sandwich? Maybe you'd better repeat the order. You know in these cheap places they don't like to have you sit around and talk without spending money. Money. Eh, laddie, I'm millionaire he balanced a full glass of water thoughtfully upon a knife-blade looking around for applause when it was not forthcoming he meekly followed my suggestion listen goots i swallowed a mouthful of sandwich and sipped a little beer i want to help you get your story he waved his hand and pulled a handkerchief out of his ear the point is i commenced sopping a piece of bread in the thick gravy If I were to betray the confidence involved, I couldn't hope to continue my connection, and I'd lose my chance to benefit from this remarkable discovery. Balls! exclaimed Goots. Forget the spiel, I'm not a prospect for your lawn tonic. I disregarded the interruption. I'm not a mercenary man, and I believe in enlightening the public to the fullest extent, compatible with decency. I'm willing to make a sacrifice for the general good, yet I must live I know, I know, how much It seems to me fifty dollars would be little enough. Fifty potatoes? He went through an elaborate pantomime of shock, horror, indignation, grotesque dismay, and a dozen other assorted emotions. Little man, your fruit Sure. W R wouldn't part with half a C for a tip off on the second coming. No, brother, you rang the wrong bell. Five I might get you, but no more. I replied firmly I was not in need of charity, ignoring his pointed look at the remains on my plate, and this was strictly a business proposition, payment for value received. After some bargaining, he finally agreed to phone his managing editor and propose I'd come clean for $20. While he was on this errand, I added pie and coffee to the check. It is well to be provident and I'd paid for my meal in more than money. Jackson Goots came limply from the foam booth, his bumptiousness gone. No soap, he shook his head dejectedly. Old man said only pity for the lower mammals prevented him from letting me go to work for Hurst right away. Sorry. His nerves appeared quite shattered, capable of restoration only by old granddad after tossing down a couple of bourbons he seemed a little recovered but hardly quite well enough to use an accent or perform a trick i'm sorry also i said since we can be of no further use to each other don't take a powder chum he urged plaintively what about a last gander at the weed together as we walked back i reflected that at any rate i was saved from submitting miss francis to vulgar publicity Everything is for the best. I've seen a hundred instances to prove it. Perhaps, who knew, something might yet happen to make it possible for me to profit by the freak growth. Needs a transfusion, remarked Goetz as we stood on the sidewalk before it. Indeed, it was anemically green, uneven, hacked and ragged, shorn of its emerald beauty. A high fog filtered the late afternoon light to show Mr. Borelli's task accomplished and the curious watchers gone. It was no smoothly-clipped carpet, yet it was no longer a freakish exotic thing. Rather forlorn it looked, and crippled. Pale-face pay out much wampum to get him cut every day. Oh, it probably won't take long till the strength is exhausted, says you. Well, I've got half a story. Cheerio i sighed if only miss francis could control it a fortune i walked home trying to figure out what i was going to do tomorrow. i thought i was prepared for anything after the shocks of the day before i know i was prepared for nothing at all to find the grass as i'd left it or even reverted to its original decay indeed i was not too sure that my memory was completely accurate that the thing had happened so fantastically but the devil grass had outdone itself and made my anticipations foolish it waved a green crest higher than the crowd a crowd three times the size of yesterday's and increasing rapidly all the scars inflicted on it the indignities of scythe and mower were covered by a new and even more prodigious stand, which made all its former growth appear puny. Bold and insolent, it had repaired the hacked-out areas and risen to such a height that, except for a narrow strip at the top, all the windows of the Dinkman house were smothered. Of the garage only the roof, islanded and bewildered, was visible, apparently resting on a solid foundation of devil-grass." it sprawled kittenishly its deceptive softness faintly suggesting fur at once playful and destructive my optimism of the night before was dashed this voracious growth wasn't going to dwindle away of itself it would have to be killed rooted out now the dinkman lawn wasn't continuous with its neighbors but until now had been set off by chest-high hedges the day before these had contained and defined the growth but overwhelming them in the night the grass had swept across and invaded the neat civilized plots behind blurring sharply cut edges curiously investigating flowerbeds barbarously strangling shapely bushes but these weren't the ravages which upset me it was reasonable if not entirely comfortable to see shrubbery plants and blossoms swallowed up work of men's hands they may be but they bear the imprimatur of nature. The cement sidewalk, however, was pure artifice, stamped with the trademark of man, and dignity and defeat were symbolized by its overrunning. It was an arrogant defiance, an outrageous challenge offered to every man happening by. But the grass was not satisfied with this irreverence, it was already making demands on curbing and gutter. Junior, you've got a story now. WR fired three copy boys and a proofreader he was so mad at himself. Here. Jackson Goots made a pass in the air, simulated astonishment at the twenty dollar bill which appeared miraculously between his fingers, and put it in my hand. Thank you, I replied coolly. Just what is this for? Faith me boy, such innocence I've never seen since I left the old sod "'Tis but a little token of esteem from himself to repay you for the trouble of leading me to your scientist, your Frankenstein, your Burbank. "'Lead on, my boy, and make it snappy, brother,' he added, "'because I've got to be back here for the rescue.' "'Rescue?' "'Yeah, people in the house,' he consulted a scrap of paper. "'Pinkman!' "'Dinkman. "'Dinkman, yeah, thanks. "'No idea how sensitive people are when you get their names wrong.' Dinkman's phoned the fire department. Can't get out. Rescue any minute. Got to cover that imperative. Trapped in home by freak lawn. And nailed down your scientist at the same time. I was very anxious myself to see what would happen here, so I suggested, since I could take him to the discoverer of the metamorphizer any time, that we better stay and get the Dinkman story first. With over-enthusiastic praise of my acuteness, he agreed, and began practicing his sleight-of-hand tricks to the great pleasure of some children, the same ones, I suspect, who had plagued me when I was spraying the lawn. His performance was terminated by the rapidly approaching fire-siren. The crowd seemed of several minds about the purpose of the red truck squealing around the corner to a stop. Some, like Goots, had heard the Dinkmans were indeed trapped in the house. Others declared the firemen had come to cut away the grass once and for all. Still others held the loud opinion that the swift growth had generated a spontaneous combustion. But having made their abrupt face in the ground halt, the truck, or rather the firemen on it, anticlimactically did nothing at all. Helmeted and accoutred, ready for instant action, they relaxed contentedly against the engine, oblivious of grass, bystanders, or presumable emergency. Goot strolled over to inquire the cause of their indolence. Waiting for the chief, he was informed. Thereupon he borrowed a helmet, possibly on the strength of his press card, and proceeded to pull from it such a variety of objects that he received the final accolade from several of his audience when they told him admiringly he ought to be on the stage. The bystanders were not seduced by this entertainment into approval of the fireman's idleness and inquired sarcastically why they had left their cots behind or if they thought they were still on W.P.A. The men remained impervious until the chief jumped out of his red roadster and surveyed the scene napoleonically. Thought somebody was pulling a rib, he explained to no one in particular. All right, boys, there's folks in that house. Let's get them out. Carrying a ladder, the men plunged toward the house. Their boots trod the sprawling runners heavily, spurning and crushing them carelessly. The grass responded by flowing back like water, sloshing over ankles and lapping at calves, thoroughly entangling and impeding progress. Panting and struggling, the firemen penetrated only a short way into the mass before they were slowed almost to a standstill. From the sidelines it seemed as though they were wrestling with an invisible octopus. Feet were lifted high, but never free of the twining vegetation. The ladder was pulled angrily forward, but the clutch of the grass upon it became firmer with every tug. At length they were halted, although their efforts still gave an appearance of advance. Thrashing and wrenching, they urged themselves in the now burdensome ladder against the invincible wall. The only result was to give the illusion they were burying themselves in the clutching tentacles. Exertions dwindled, the struggle grew less intense. Then they retreated, fighting their way out of the enveloping mass in a panic of desperation, abandoning the latter. The chief surveyed them with less than approbation. "'Cut your way in,' he ordered. "'You guys think those axes are only to bust up furniture with?' obediently wedges of bright steel flashed against the green wall impatiently i await the rescue of fair dinkmans from this enchanted keep murmured gootes vainly trying to balance his pipe on the back of his hand it looked as though he would have to contain his impatience for some time the fireman slashed unenthusiastically at the grass which gave way only grudgingly and by inches Half an hour later, they triumphantly dragged out the abandoned ladder. Stuff's like rubber! Bounds back instead of cutting! Yeah, and in the meantime, those people been telephoning again. Wanna know what the delay is, wanna know what they pay taxes for, threaten to sue the city. Let them sue. Long as they're in there, they can't collect. Funny as a flat tire. Get going, Goldbrick! End of chapter 1, part f.